Are you ready to step into your power? If so, I want to tell you about my brand new one-to-one mentorship program, Powerhouse. Power stands for productivity, organization, wealth, energy, and relationships. The five things that I teach my clients to help them step into their fullest potential. So if you are tired of playing small, ready for change, and want to excel in these five areas, go to jenniferfordberry.com and sign up for a free application call to see if you are ready to be a powerhouse. Welcome to the Make Room Show, formerly titled The 29-Minute Mom. I am your host, Jennifer Fordberry, certified professional organizer, best-selling author, and coach. I have spent the last two decades teaching women how to get organized so that they can free up more space, time, energy, and money. This podcast is for the woman who wants to make room in her home and in her life for the people and the things that matter the most. Each week, I am bringing you episodes that will help you feel less overwhelmed and more inspired to create the life that you deserve. So come on, girl, let's do this together. Welcome back to the Make Room Show. We're super excited for today's episode, and this is going to be a message of true inspiration and hope for all of you listening today. I have the author of the new book, When It Hurts to Hope by Rachel Miller. So if you're watching on video, here's the most beautiful cover. I love it. And I want to say welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to be here. So congratulations. This is your first book, which is always exciting. It's like your first Thank you so much. baby, right? Like, yes. <laughs> not child, but I remember my first book and it's like surreal at first, right? You're just like- Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fun work of love really it is Mm -hmm. and it's a really pretty book like I was just saying in the previous chat before we opened up I like how they laid out the book and it's just like an inspirational looking book so um that was a really that's really good I wanted to talk because I feel like when I was reading your book that the one thing that stuck out to me the most is when and even experiencing it my own life you go through these phases of life where you're so gung-ho and you feel like fired up for life and then something triggers you and you start to slowly lose your hope Mm -hmm. and you really want to catch it before you get to the point of despair right Mm -hmm. because as human beings if we are in despair we are no good to anybody we're kind of like just stuck in the muck so it's very very important to keep hope alive and this is what I feel like this book does. So um, bravo for to you for writing it. And I kind of just want to jump in. I mean, first of all, tell me from your point of view, why you even wrote the book to begin with, because we all have a reason why we write. Absolutely. So when I started writing the book, it was COVID summer, which was a hard time for everyone, right? It was the summer of 2020. That was also the summer I turned 30 and I was very single And uh, depending on how we grow up, you know, I think that human hearts are wired, obviously, for connection and belonging. And some of us want a committed relationship earlier than others. For some people, it might be very normal to be 30 and single. I came from a background where, uh, you know, I knew it always wanted that from a young age. And that's also what I saw modeled in my home and my really conservative Christian upbringing. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. But I also had expectations for how my life would play out. 
And when those things stopped happening, kind of like you were just saying, when the momentum began to slow down and dating got really hard and really confusing as anybody listening is dating, you know, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a weird time, the way that you meet people, the way you pursue relationships. So I wrote the book that summer and I, I started it that summer. And I just honestly wrote to kind of cleanse the, the frustration, the questions, um, deal with some of that loneliness that was compounded by being under lockdown. And for me, it, you know, the book has kind of two threads that I hope readers get out of it. One is like a very much a faith perspective on like how the seasons of waiting challenge and refine and strengthen your faith in God and also an emotional health perspective. I grew up once again in that in a conservative environment that did not model emotional wellness. You know, feelings were always to be mistrusted. Feelings were deceptive feelings were dangerous that was what I was told that was what was modeled to me and so I had to do a lot of work um to not allow my feelings to dictate my behavior but to inform like I the subtitle of the book is honest conversations about living with unmet longing and I felt like this desire for a life partner had become this almost had a life of its own this this longing that I didn't know I didn't know how to interact with um you know, humans, we, we hate living in tension. We hate uncertainty. We hate not knowing the ending of our story. And despite all of our best efforts, sometimes in life, it takes much longer than you hope. And you don't know how or when or if your story is going to play out the way that you hope it will. So all that to say, I wrote it from a very personal place, of course, but really in an attempt to help encourage people in their faith and also to, to have some tools to deal with these frustrating seasons with some emotional wellness, in addition to pointing people to scripture and resources like that. Yes. Yes. I think that's, I think it's cool that you wrote it to almost brain dump and cleanse your old your own soul because that's when mm -hmm. it, the message for a book is the most powerful when we're not mm -hmm. really writing the book because we're trying to like make sales or worry about what happens after but the process of writing is so therapeutic so I love that yes um so you talk about the unmet longing part let's just go a little bit deeper into that like how I mean when I think of unmet longing, you were obviously thinking about it in the form of trying to find like a love or relationship, but that could be so many areas of the listeners' mm -hmm. lives right now. So tell me what unmet longing means to you. Totally. So it feels one of the ways when it, when it goes on for too long and it becomes uncomfortable, one of the ways I describe it is that there's like a bruise on your soul. It may not be something that hurts acutely all of the time, but something will happen in life that kind of reminds you that like, kind of like when you, when you touch a bruise and you're like, ouch, you know, it's, it still hurts. Something will happen that reminds you of a hope of a desire, a, a longing. And I think of longing as kind of, it's deeper than just like a passing want. It's very much hardwired into your soul. I think it's a reflection of how God architectured us to, to function. So for example, it could be like you mentioned, it could be a desire for a relationship, the desire to have kids, to fulfill the role of being a mom or a dad. It shows up in our work dreams and hopes because we are wired to live with purpose and to live with intention. And it, one of my, one of the interviews I did for the book was with one of my dear friends, her story is so inspiring, who had, um, is still in really a season of chronic illness that has morphed into some crazy form, a, a really rare form of cancer. And despite, once again, despite all of her best effort, that unmet longing for being physically well is still something she's living with and, and searching for and doing everything she can, doctor's appointments and 
taking care of her eating and all those things. So yeah, like you said, it can show up in so many, many um, ways in our lives. And I think it's just an indication that there's a fundamental need that we have that's not being met. And we're really good at recognizing those things physically, you know, most of the time it's like, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And we're not always as quick to interpret those needs of our souls, the loneliness or the frustration at work or the discouragement. Um, those are all indicators that we have something in our, in ourselves that's not being um, nurtured the way that we really need it to be in order to be thriving. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Like right now I'm going through a stage in my life where my youngest went to college. So I mm. am in the empty nest stage. Wow. And I'm <laughs> like, long, I'm stuck in the middle. I'm longing for what was. Yep. And I'm curious about what is like, what will be, I should say that yeah. I'm in the middle. And that's like yeah. a very interesting time. It is. And, and it's interesting. I, when I was writing the book, I made the decision um, because some people brought up, brought up the idea of grief and of looking backwards in the past. And like we're talking about, there is a longing that is more reflective. That is nostalgia, right? And nostalgia is really sweet. And it's also kind of painful. There's a little bit of that yeah. altogether. And so I made the decision that this, this particular book with hope, because hope is future oriented. Hope is saying what's like what you were saying, like what, what is going to come, what's on the horizon, and there are things like when it comes to grief, maybe you've lost a loved one and, or you're, like you said, you're grieving the season of having your kids in the home. Like it will never be the same. They'll come back, they'll visit, but it's that part of life is over. And so there's, um, there's definitely, in fact, grief is one of the things I write about in the book. It's a practice that we can employ in order to grieve the picture that we thought our life would look like. You know, when I turned 30, it was like, you know, I hope, like I said, I hope to be married by that point, I maybe have a child or two. I, I came from a really big family. I've always wanted a big family. And so there's a grief of like some of those really um, peak childbearing years that will just never, th that is what it is, right? So grief is an important part of reconciling what we have been through. And it's so essential in order to build the next thing, like you're saying. So many of us want to somehow just kind of you know, drag the past into the present and recreate what we used to have. And that's not, unfortunately, that's not how life works. You can yeah. take learnings from it and build on it. But like those seasons, they come to a close and it's painful and it's freeing to acknowledge when that close, when it happens. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. So one of the quotes I have highlighted in your book is on page 24, where you say our need for connection is woven into the fabric of our humanity. And you cannot separate yourself from that need without unraveling your soul. I find that I've had a lot of conversations about friendships in this mm -hmm. season of my life. And I, I literally had a, a lunch conversation with a dear friend of mine that I've known since first grade this week and we were talking about how we've known each other for so long and she we are completely different when it comes to the amount of time that we think we should spend together and i'm a i'm a social extrovert and she's an introvert and she's like if i didn't see you know a friend for a year i feel the same about him so we were having this conversation where i said but well, god made us to be in community and to have connections i feel like a lot of people now are they kind of feel like 
two things. Number one, I think that the phone is serving as community and connection, which is really kind of fake. Um, And then the second thing is since COVID, we were doing life by ourselves. And so now I feel like a lot of people are still kind of stuck there and need to integrate back into face-to-face and making time for each other. And, you know, a lot of times we'll hear women say, well, I'm so busy, but we're all busy. So Mm. what do you, when you say that it's woven into the fabric of our humanity and you Mm. cannot separate yourself from that need without unraveling your soul. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's one of the, you know, if you look, you know, from a Christian perspective at Genesis one and two, the, one of the very first things that is recorded in that scripture is like God looking at Adam by himself and saying, it is not good for Mm. man to be alone. The first shade of anything um, negative or anything off in all of creation. And so kind of for me that in building that, that's where I, I, you know, gain my worldview. And so looking at that, it's like, man, this is, this is really, this is really serious. And I can choose to ignore it just like I can choose to ignore maybe nourishing my body or getting enough sleep, but there will be consequences regardless of what I think or how I try to rationalize or justify the use of my time. And I so identify with what you're saying about being busy. Cause I don't know if you feel this way, Jennifer, but like when I'm I, like, I text a friend, I'm like, let's get together. Let's have lunch. It feels like, gosh, like I've got, I've got next Tuesday in like four weeks, you know, like, yeah. I, like it's, it seems like another, um, it seems like a lot of work to try to uh, put, you know, incorporate those times of connecting into our lives. And so there, there does, and I'm sure in your work with, with women and with all sorts of people with helping them get organized and make room for what matters. I think you just have to start there and being radical to say, you have got to make room for connection and you've got to go first. You've got to model that for people and to show them, Hey, my house is the kind of house you can come to in your yoga pants and with your leftovers. And it doesn't have to be a production and it doesn't have to be crazy. Um, and slow, but the, the thing is, I mean, those choices will pay off when you, when you begin to show people like, it's okay, it's safe. I want to connect in this way. Um, people are starving for that. They're hungry for that. And yeah, like, like you said, with your friend, it's tough when you do have those mismatches of like, here's what I need. Here's what I would like. And here's the reality of my schedule. People listening to this might be in a season with young kids where it's really just incredibly hard to even get out of the house more than more than absolute necessary. So taking that in stride as well, that there are seasons where you will be able to do more and there'll be times where you're able to do less. But regardless, um, just from a, a spiritual perspective, I know the, the, da- the data on this shows the loneliness epidemic that we're in, the health um, damages to our bodies, our sleep, our sense of security, our anxiety. It's just undeniable. We can choose to ignore it, but the consequences will be there if we don't make community a priority. Yeah. And just, I mean, going off that, that's another question I have highlighted here, but going off the fact that people are feeling a little bit uneasy or down or whatever they're feeling, there's this um, part on page 101 that I highlighted where it says, is God good? No matter the circumstances, Mm -hmm. no matter what fears come to pass, do you believe that God is good and that he has your best interests at heart for your good and his glory? This is paramount importance and it will change our lives as single, married, widowed, divorced, healthy, or sick women. There's no greater gift than unshakable faith. So you basically go, you know, in this area, you're talking about is, is, do you believe God's goodness is dependent on you getting what you want? 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling hopeless and you have a, an internal longing, it's because there's something you want you don't have right now, basically. And in this season of waiting for it, it's, you know, we have like, there's a struggle sometimes where is God listening? Is God mm -hmm. there? How many prayers mm -hmm. do I have to say? When is he going to reveal himself? When is there going to be some magical day where I know he's by my side and I can get my hope back? So speak to that a little bit, Rachel. Absolutely. I think it's so important. So much of our, so much of our theology can get really tunnel visioned into this really uh, one dimensional aspect of my relationship with God as my personal Lord and savior. And that is, that's crucially important to have a, in a really authentic relationship with God. But I think when we zoom out and we look at the whole narrative of what God is doing in the world with, with the fall, with what Jesus did on the cross, with the promises he has to one day wipe away all tears. And we, when we get super fixated on what's happening right here and right now in this moment of my life, um, the same thing happens, right? We can lose faith when we fail to look at the bigger picture, the bigger narrative. You might be in a really hard chapter, but that doesn't mean the whole story is going to be full of heartache. So for me, the hope that I write about in the book comes from the anchored truths of what I know I am guaranteed or what God does promise me in scripture. And scripture does not promise a life free of suffering. Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. And I think a lot of our theology in, in some of the circles that we were taught, you know, or things that we absorb that aren't even anybody's necessary, that necessarily something that people intended, a message they intended to give us, but things we absorbed um, are things like, there's actually one of my chapters I write, it's called Lies You've Heard at Church. And I talk about three common pitfalls that we have theologically that twist our thinking into thinking, well, God is just there to give me what I want. And for example, um, one of them might be just good old fashioned legalism. You know, if I follow the rules, if I check the boxes, do X, Y, Z, I, God will reward me. He will reward my good behavior with a husband, with kids who never disobey, with a perfect up into the right trajectory in my career. And um, when you really dig into scripture, it's being a student of, of scripture and knowing that, oh, that's actually, that's actually not true. Like, and in fact, as followers of Christ, we're often called to embrace suffering as part of that lifestyle. And now all of that, like I said, in the context of like, if I believe that God is who he says he is and that he is going to redeem all of the brokenness in the world, not just mine, and that someday in eternity, this will make sense. Like that is, that's a big, big hope. And it takes a lot of work to get ourselves out of that moment and like, you know, the, the quote that you just read is actually from that a chapter where I talk about a, a panic attack that I was having and my, my parents came over and they were very comforting and very helpful to me in that moment. And, um, that's, I, I feel like where we find ourselves when we're just kind of wrapped up tunnel vision, like I said, in this moment of anxiety and this gripping fear that what I'm experiencing right now is the end of my story. And the truth is it's not, you know, it's not, there are good things coming and it can be painful and that's where the faith is really forged and we're able to endure through suffering. Yeah, it's so good. So when we're in the middle of like, kind of in that in-between stage where we haven't received what we want, right? Mm -hmm. 
give us some practical ways that we can acknowledge our desires, but not let them consume us. So we feel discontented because there's a fine line, like the world now, everybody's coaching on, you know, sky's the limit. You're getting your own way, control your thoughts, your mindset, but in the, in between, like if you're here and you want to go to this level, mm-hmm. how do we not get discontented mm-hmm. where we're at, but still Absolutely. honor our desires? And and I mm-hmm. do feel like when we have a new desire, it's God placed it in us for a reason because he needs yep. something to come through us, but we can't get stuck in, well, it's not here in five minutes and we're, we're upset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first thing I would say is have some outlet for the like raw innermost thoughts that you have, whether that's through journaling, uh, through working with the therapist or a trusted friend, you know, if you're a verbal processor, having someone you can trust and have those conversations with, it could also be in one of the chapters I write about the prayer form of lament, which I call a holy, ugly cry, (laughs) like just having a, a relationship with God where you don't feel like you have to have polished and buttoned up prayers where he can he, you want to tell him what you are actually thinking and not what you think you should be thinking. So I think that having some kind of regular practice where you are able to, like you said, honor the desires, release them. And for me, journaling has always been a great way to do that as a writer. That's no surprise, but getting it out on paper. I mean, I feel a physical relief after it's done and I'm able to contextualize it and look at it and say, okay, this is true. This is what I am feeling. And I still get to call the shots. One of the, an analogy that's been very helpful to me that a therapist gave me is imagine yourself on a road trip and you've got these hopes and dreams, these plans in the car with you, and they get a voice. They get to speak into the destination. They get to speak into when you stop or how fast you go or what detours you take, but you are still in the driver's seat. So for example, going back to my example about dating, like at times I got so emotionally fragile and frantic that I felt like I allowed the desire to get into the driver's seat and make, you know, like there was one point where I was like kind of dating two roommates at the same time. Like it was just bad, you know, choices that were like, what am I doing? Um, So that's one mistake we can make. Like you're talking about, we allow that desire to call the shots. And so there's a, there's a reality of practicing self-control. Like your, your, your emotions are valuable information, but they're not always the reality or they're definitely not great operating instructions. So reminding that you are in the driver's seat. So that's what I would say is like getting some kind of outlet to, to acknowledge. Cause if you don't acknowledge they're, they're still there. You know, I, I talked to one friend who is struggling with infertility and she said, you know, I just had to come to a point and realize like, I will always want kids. Like that is whether or not I have them, that will always be a desire. No matter my age, it will be either something I long for or something that I grieve because I wasn't able to do. So if that's the reality for her, so, so it's not going anywhere. So find a way to get it out. And then I think it just comes down to the fundamentals of a, uh, of a purposeful life of having a purpose in whatever season you are and not allowing those years to be wasted. Like say that you have a longing for your career and it's just so frustrating. You cannot seem to get the breakthrough, the connection, the whatever you need. Like what, what, what is God teaching you in that moment? Like, don't miss that. What is he forming in you? Who, who are you becoming in the midst of that? Because we often have a myth, like this is the other, the weird, one of the weird things about unmet longing is often um, you get what you want 
And it's not what you thought it would be. Yeah. Like, it's not to say, it's not to say that it's not a beautiful thing to pursue. Like I, I'm very thankfully, um, very happily married today, kind of still in a newlywed phase, but I did um, fall in love with my husband actually halfway through writing the book, which was a beautiful story. And, and I'm, I just love him. He's made my life rich in every way possible, but he does joke when he, we tell people about this book, he jokes and he's like, and then she married me. And she's still living with unmet longing because <laughs> they're even the best things in life. Um, oh yeah. You're you still know, they, they totally, yeah. They cannot satisfy every, every deep part of our souls, every hope and every dream we have. So all that to say like who you are becoming along the way really matters. So pouring yourself into seasons of intentional purpose, um, using your time wisely. And then I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, community, like, you cannot bear this burden by yourself. You were meant to have other people carry the load, believe when you're out of belief, encourage, remind you who you are and, um, and to be a, an emotional resource for you when you just don't have the resources within yourself. So, so true. I really think community is a key word that the world needs right now away from the screen, you know, like in-person mm. community. I just had a meeting um, earlier today with our planning meeting for our retreat, the focus retreat. And that's one of the things that is our mission is just to get women together mm. that are believers and that have businesses and careers, but they, it's not to come together and network. It's about community, yep. which looks very different than networking. And I feel like a lot of us are tired of networking because it's mm. not as, yep. it doesn't feel as authentic. It doesn't liven us up as much. And so I think it's whether you're creating a community of moms because you mm -hmm. have littles and you're trying to get through that season of life, or you're creating a community of, you know, women that are in my stage, you know, like doing stuff when we used to be at sporting events. And now we have to figure out what does our community look like now that our kids are away at college. So I don't, I wouldn't be able to get through life without community. Um, Absolutely. And I think that the the element of transactional relationships has I think entered so many of our quote unquote friendships. Like I, I think of a friend as someone that, you know, you get a ride to the airport and you don't feel the need to like buy them lunch for yeah. it or 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 they don't feel the need, I'll get you next time. Well sure. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I would love for that, but not because you owe me, but because we're friends or yes. you know like stop by and feed my cat. No, you don't have to Venmo me. Like I'm your, I'm your friend. Like, so I think that element of everything has been reduced to a transaction because we live in such a convenience oriented world that we feel guilty for taking people's time. But what we fail to recognize is that yeah. time <laughs> we is- We feel like we is, have to tip them on Venmo or something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Our it's like, we're like letting our dog out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's out of control. And yeah. we, we take away the opportunity, like you said, of, of authentic connection. It's like, I'm doing this because I love you. Not because yeah. I don't, you know, not because I need something for you or from you. It's, that's so true. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. I don't know what made us get to that point, hmm. but I'm sure there's a reason, but we literally just did um, an episode about that. Like, I think it was, 80, 181 about transactional mm -hmm. versus transformational friendships, mm -hmm. because, you know, the more you think about it in friendships, I want a transformational friendship. I want to grow. I want you to push me to grow. I want you to tell me the truth. I want you to be your real self. I want you to do the highs and lows with me, not the Instagram reel. So 
Totally. I feel like that part's cool. Like there's a wave coming where we we're needing more of that community. Um, mm -hmm. we've just, we've gotten a little lost. So, um, well, I love this book, Rachel, and Thank it's just, you. I hope everybody goes out and gets it. Just remember the title is when it hurts to hope honest conversations about living with unmet longing, really, really cute book. Um, you can apply this, whether you're kind of looking, whatever your unmet longing is, or the reason you need more hope in your life, like the way you talk about some stories in here, um, you know, there's some stories about infertility and people that are looking for relationships, but it's still also applied to like where I am in my life. So pick it up. Mm -hmm. If you have a friend that's hurting, grab a copy and gift it because wouldn't this be like a great gift to have in your mailbox when you know, like a friend is going through a hard time. It's just like, even if you did it anonymously, like somebody would feel loved by getting this book. So I think that that could be a really cool idea. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. I just, I have such a, I, I remember the pain in, in my heart that was there when I was writing it. And I can, I can feel it when I think of it. And I know there are so many people listening who, if they are not the one feeling that they know someone who is, it's just, yeah. It's it's so painful to even begin to hope because it's been so long. So we've all we've all been there. I hope that um, anybody listening, they just know right now that you're they're not alone. That they're not alone, and that there are people who who have been there or who who will be there. And our stories can lift each other of things yes. that we've experienced and how we've seen God work through it and come out on the other side stronger. Absolutely. Well, I pray many blessings over this book. I hope it's a huge success and it gets into Thank all you. the of the people that need it. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a guest today. Absolutely. Have a good one. All right. And thank you to everyone listening. If you felt like this was an episode that somebody you know needs to hear, make sure you share it. Leave us a comment. And how can they find you, Rachel? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on online at rachelmillerauthor.com. Okay. That's R-A-C-H-E-L, just one A in that name. And then Instagram at rachel.s.miller. And yeah, I've got a, a newsletter I send out every month or so. They can join on my, on, the, on my website and just follow along all the fun. Yes, and we will have all those links in the show notes. So until next time.